So I'm grateful for those who helped make it possible for us to be able to be here today. Uh, some people came and uh, spread salt and all that stuff, so thank you guys for doing that. Hey, I want to read a passage of scripture with you this morning, and it's a familiar passage because we used the same passage last week in Jonah chapter 1. We're just going to look at it from a completely different perspective this morning. So we're still in Jonah chapter 1. I am going to read a good portion of the passage for you today. Even if you weren't here last Sunday, this ought to be a relatively familiar passage anyways. The story of Jonah is one that is told in about every Sunday school uh, from about age three on up. And often we hear the story, but we really don't understand what it's about. So I want us to look at another aspect of the story from Jonah chapter one this morning. And it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And we'll stop reading there. Uh, Obviously, you're probably familiar enough with this story to know what happens next. Actually, the sailors do everything they can to keep from throwing Jonah overboard. Uh, They reach a point where they even throw their cargo overboard. Now, there's a real problem with throwing cargo overboard. That, That means you just lost your purpose for even sailing. You lost the money that you were going to make in this journey. Yet they are willing to do whatever it takes to keep from throwing this man overboard. Apparently, they had a great concern for his life. It's interesting because as we look in a few moments, apparently he did not have the same concern for them. I want us to be able to look at several things in here this morning, but as we do, I want you to realize that there is a certain aspect of this story that should be very familiar to us. I love fishing. I enjoy being able to find a good place to fish today. Everything would be frozen over. I'd have to be ice fishing. Uh, But the truth is, there are some good places to go fishing around here. This week, I went with Jonathan, and we went over to a a, a guy. He lives a few miles uh, 
past the Walmart. And he was sharing with us that he's got a three-acre lake there on his property. And he invited us to come back and go fishing. I'm thinking, yes, that's what I've been looking to hear. Uh, and, and he's talking about all these bass and other fish that are there. I'm really excited about it. But one of the things for me, my wife doesn't like the taste of fish. So for me, I'm much better off in one of those catch and release situations where uh, I catch it and I get to take a picture of it and tell everybody I caught a fish. Or if I don't take a picture, I can tell them I caught that kind of fish. Um, But I'm better in a catch and release situation, primarily because we're not going to eat the fish anyways. Uh, That being said, the idea of catch and release is actually something that we see here in the story of Jonah. Except it was the other way around, because once Jonah is thrown overboard, overboard, he is caught, and then he is released. Actually, that actually takes place in chapter 2, as he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord causes this fish to spit him up, and he is caught, and then he is released. As we look at this story of the fish uh, that basically swallows Jonah, I want you guys to realize There is something very unique about this story. It intrigues me, um, and I I say that because many people have tried to run from God. It's not like Jonah is the only one. There have been times that all of us have ignored God's word to us. There have been times that all of us have chosen the act of disobedience toward God. So why would God be so quick and demonstrative in his judgment toward Jonah. He lets us get away with our disobedience sometimes. So why would God be so quick to call Jonah out for what he had done? The reason is simple. God loved the people of Nineveh and Jonah far too much to allow them to simply ignore God, to allow them to be disobedient. Now, I want you to think about that idea for a moment, that God loved the people of Nineveh so much that he couldn't let Jonah be disobedient. God's love was so great for this ungodly group of people. Remember, we talked about them last week and who they were. Uh, They were the group of people when they went into battle, they would cut the tongues out of their enemies and then they would begin to skin them alive. This was a a horrible group of people. This was a group of people that nobody would have wanted to be around. In fact, Jonah himself did not want to be there. Yet God loved these people so much that he would do whatever it took to get the message to them. Regarding Jonah, God's love was so great for this self-centered, racist prophet that God would go to incredible lengths to make things right between he and God. You see, this is all about God's love for the people that he created. If God would do so much to reach these two people groups, the people of Nineveh and Jonah, what is God willing to do to bring us back to himself? I mean, we've never cut anybody's tongues out. We've never skinned anyone alive. We can't be as bad as these guys. We've never, maybe we've never called ourselves a racist as Jonah basically was. So maybe we're not as bad as they are. Or maybe we can actually relate to them. Maybe for you, you left God simply because you drifted from him 
It was an unconscious thing where you, you simply stopped seeking the Lord as much as you should. Or maybe in your case, it was very intentional. You just decided, forget this. This isn't worth it. I'm not going to follow God. What I would suggest is that regardless of how you got where you are, God is willing to do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. God desires that right relationship with you. As we look closer at Jonah, we begin to see ourselves. And if your spiritual fire has gone out or if you have chosen a life that is an outright rebellion against God, then you should know a few things. First of all, God has many ways to get your attention. What is God willing to do? In this story, we see five different actions that God uses to awaken us from our spiritual ignorance, our spiritual indifference, our disobedience. And it's important to realize that these actions are intended as correction, not punishment. And I really want you to understand that. God's desire is not to punish his people. However, we know that there will come a day where he will judge his people and we will either stand basically in a place of redemption or we will stand under his judgment. And you can call it what you want, but his judgment will bring punishment upon those who do not have a right relationship with him. But as God works now, most often we look and we assume God is punishing us, but I want you to understand, God is far more interested in correcting us. I don't like to punish my kids, but sometimes I have to punish them as a part of the correction. There are times that my kids need to learn that what they did was wrong and there needs to be a change. That is the act of correction, not just punishment. And I will tell you that God is much more interested in correction for his people. So God intervened to turn Jonah around, and he desires to do the same thing with us. Consider the things which God does to reach Jonah. First of all, he sends a storm in his life. We see it in verse 4 there where this storm comes up. The text tells us that the Lord sent a great wind. This is not just a little bit of a storm. There's no question regarding why this is happening. In fact, the reason is explained to us in the passage. It is God who is doing it. This was a supernatural event, and even the ungodly sailors knew that this was not an ordinary wind. We'll talk about them a little bit later, but I want you to consider the fact that these were experienced sailors, yet they reached a point where they were in a panic. They took all their cargo and they threw it overboard, and then they began to pray to their false gods. Did they do this all the time, anytime a storm came up? Probably not. They wouldn't be very good sailors if they threw the cargo overboard every time a storm came up. They recognized this was something different, far more significant. You have individuals here who they recognize this is a big deal. And this was the hand of God that was bringing about this storm. In fact, as they go to Jonah, they asked him to pray to their God, asking basically that their God would deliver them. God often uses the storms of adversity to teach us or to correct us. This story illustrates the spiritual struggle of Jonah's heart. While the rebellious prophet knew what was right, a fierce battle likely raged in his soul. There was a physical, literally a physical storm that was going on around him. But deep inside, there had to be a storm that was raging as well. 
Because he knew what it was like to walk in God's will, to do things the way God expected of him. And to now all of a sudden not be in that right place with God. And imagine the, the feeling of defeat that he had as he boarded that ship in the first place. Knowing that he has walked in God's blessing all these years and God has used him to minister to the people of Israel. What an incredible blessing he must have experienced to all of a sudden feel like he was walking away from God. The storm that raged outside was probably not as fierce as the storm that raged within his heart. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association points out that when God allows affliction or storms in our lives, it is not because he is angry. Instead, it is simply to discipline us, to awaken us. Sometimes God has to shake us to awaken us. Physically and internally, this storm was sent for Jonah. We see God use this method of correction many times throughout the scriptures. Jacob's deception. Remember, Jacob was known for deceiving his brother Esau. Jacob's deception was greeted with a deception that was granted toward him from his future father-in-law down the road. The Israelites refused to seize the promised land when it was offered to them, and therefore they would have to wander through the wilderness for 40 years to follow. The point is that these were people that they needed an intervention, and God said, I will grant you that intervention. While storms come into our lives for several reasons, we should always ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to tell me through this storm that I experienced today? By the way, the answer to that question, it may be that he's not trying to tell you anything. It may just be because we live in a sinful world where bad things happen to people and you just got to deal with it when it happens. But it may be that God's trying to get your attention because you have allowed disobedience in your life and God is not content with that. God wants to see you back in that right relationship with him. Second thing that I want you to see here is that sometimes as God is trying to reach us, first he sends storms to our lives, sometimes he touches others near you. Although Jonah had sinned, it was the sailors who were afraid. It adds the fact that they were so afraid that they began to toss everything overboard. And of course, they were all put at risk of losing their own lives because of this storm, because one man, Jonah, chose rebellion. When the storm came, Jonah was about to drown. But remember, no one drowns alone. The storms that touched his life touched the lives of all those who were around him. After King David had sinned, he remained in an unrepentant state for almost a year. Actually, if you'll remember, there was a guy named Nathan who comes and he addresses him, but it's about eight months later before Nathan arrives. And as Nathan confronts him, he basically tells him that this child that has been born, he will die. There were others who paid the price for David's sin. I was speaking with some folks this week regarding this issue. Most people who are trapped in their sin operate as if they are the only ones who are affected by their sin. Often they will do things and they think, well, it doesn't affect anybody else, but it does. Maybe it's a spouse who is affected. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's someone who 
has looked up to you for a long time or maybe even someone that you have looked up to. But your sin is never just about you. It carries consequences and other people are affected by your sin. Now, in Jonah's case, it's very specific. There are people that are at risk of losing their lives because of Jonah's sin. But consider the cost that other people have paid because of your sin. Consider the husband who has been unfaithful to his wife. And he thinks to himself, but you don't know what she has put me through. And the kids sit back and they look and they're crushed because of the brokenness that they see happening within their family. It's never just about you. It's never just about you and just one or two other people. Everybody around you is affected by the sin that you allow to remain in your life. Your sins never affect just you. You should consider the answer to this question. What is God willing to do to bring you back to him? The answer is whatever it takes. God knows which nerve to touch to get your attention. I don't want you to think that what I'm telling you here is that God is going to strike down the people that you love to get your attention. But I do want you to realize that they are affected by the choices that you make. If you choose to walk in godliness, they will be affected in a great way. But if you choose to walk in sin, it also will affect the people that are around you. Calm may not come in their lives until it comes in your life. The third thing I want you to see is that sometimes he sends others to you. In verse 6 of this passage, as the storm raged, the captain approached Jonah. What's interesting about that is we've already talked about the fact that this captain was an ungodly captain. Remember, he had his own God that he had prayed to. He said basically to Jonah, wake up and pray to your God because that was not his God. So he is asking Jonah to pray to the one true living God. This captain is an ungodly man. Yet God used an ungodly man to get the attention of Jonah. Pray that perhaps your God might deliver us, that he might save us and we might not all perish. There are times that God will use some of the most unlikely people in the world to get our attention. There will be times that God will use someone from church, maybe a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, or maybe, uh, maybe it'll be a family member that you love and respect, some godly voice that has encouraged you and helped you become the person that you're supposed to be. But sometimes that's not the way it works. Sometimes God will use maybe an incredibly ungodly person, maybe a child, someone who has no experience in Christianity at all. Imagine that conversation when you're talking with your children and a child actually calls you out on sin. That's a hard conversation to have, isn't it? I remember as uh, Andrew, I'm going to embarrass you. You're in here somewhere. I'm going to embarrass you for a minute. Uh, we were um, we were at a Walmart. This is when we were living in Pennsylvania. Andrew's relatively young guy, and uh, I think he was probably three or four years old. And uh, we're walking by this couple, and they're standing outside smoking. And he looks over. And he says, "They stink." 
And of course, he's not referencing their body odor. It was the fact that they were smoking cigarettes and the smell was just overwhelming. On another occasion, we were at a pizza hut and there was a table that was being used right next to us. The family sat down, they started eating. Andrew says, they didn't pray. And he says it out loud, so they know. Why didn't they pray? Often it is an unlikely voice that actually speaks good wisdom to us. And God can use some of the people that nobody would ever expect to speak to us. I'm not telling you that somehow the voice or the message was less valuable because he was ungodly. In fact, I would suggest this. God doesn't care who the messenger is. He will simply get his message across. The question is, how will we respond when the message is given to us? Some of us in arrogance will respond, well, who does he think he is? He's judging me. It's not his place to judge me. And we'll become bitter and angry because someone else called us out on our sin. Instead of becoming bitter because someone called you out on what you know to be true, maybe what you need to do is simply say, God, is what they said right? Do I need to change? Is there something in me that displeases you? How we respond to God's correction, regardless of who speaks, is incredibly important. Next thing I want you to recognize is that he will also expose our disobedience. In verse 7 and 8, we actually see the people's response, the sailors. They actually begin to cast lots. It was a superstitious act. The crew begins to cast lots to discover who the guilty party is. Now, by the way, I called it a superstitious act. Apparently, it was a fairly accurate superstitious act because after casting lots, they determine that, well, it's Jonah. Well, actually, Jonah already knew that it was him, but he didn't necessarily want to admit it. And the lots single out Jonah as the guilty party. And it's an interesting contrast that while the unbelieving sailors discerned that the storm represented God's hand against someone on board the vessel, it would seem that Jonah did not recognize this, or if he did, he simply didn't want to admit it. And we have seen this pattern elsewhere in Scripture. God used a pagan pharaoh to address and to expose Abraham and his sin with Sarah, where he didn't want to call her his wife. God used an angry brother to expose Jacob's deception of his father. God used Mordecai to expose Haman's plot to have all of the Jews exterminated. God used all kinds of people to expose the sins of others, God's people. Thomas Martin was once the manager of a jack-in-the-box in Oroville, California. And in 1996, he reported a robbery in which the crook stole $307 as the store was closing. When questioned about the suspect, Martin provided police sketch artist Jack Lee with a detailed description of the assailant. After Lee completed his sketch, he observed how the drawing looked very much like Martin. When investigators noted the similarity, they began to question him, and eventually Martin would confess to the crime. He had actually described himself to the people because he had stolen the money himself, wanting to make an insurance claim. Confession occurs when we clearly identify ourselves as the culprit. 
In this case, Jonah needed to reach a point where he admitted, yes, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has committed this act against God. And that's why this is taking place. We need to reach a point where we're able to confess and to admit that, you know what, we are the ones at fault here. My sin is, I read a great quote this week and it was talking about maturity and it said, maturity is when you reach the point where you no longer blame everybody else for your problems, but rather you take the responsibility upon yourself. It's a great truth because for so many of us, we have looked at the situations in our lives and it's so easy for us to say, well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's everybody else's fault, but mine. Yet we need to reach a point where we're able to confess and take the responsibility for the actions that we have participated in. The last one of these that I'll point out is that sometimes he will also touch us physically. Once they learned of Jonah's guilt, we are told that they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. What does this mean theologically? It primarily means that God's hand of protection can become his hand of correction as well. You remember the Israelites who wandered around in the desert for 40 years? When they turned on Moses and they complained about God, the Lord sent snakes among them into their camp. And we're told in Numbers chapter 31 that many of them died. What's interesting is for 40 years, they traveled around the desert. Do you think the snakes weren't there then? They were there all along, but God's hand of protection was upon them. And it would almost seem as if because they were ungrateful, because of their arrogance, God simply said, I will remove my hand of protection from you. And the snakes came among them and many of them died. God is no respecter of persons. And what I mean by that is you can be one of the most dedicated people in the church, but if you allow sin into your life, God will still find a way to correct because he desires that we be made right. You have individuals throughout scripture where clearly Man, if anybody should have been on the inside where God wouldn't have corrected them, they should have been there. Um, Moses' sister, Miriam, she complained against Moses and God caused her to have leprosy. You have Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts who basically tried to rob God. And as a result of that, they are struck down. On many occasions, you have people who they are a part of the family of God. And sometimes we almost think, well, because I'm a Christian, God will give me a little bit more wiggle room with my sin. No, God doesn't desire that any of us be caught up in sin, but rather he desires that we be made right with him. Why would God do such things? Because God loves us too much to allow us to continue on a path of immorality and loss. I'm not suggesting that every illness or accident is God trying to correct, but I do want you to realize that often God is using the storms of our life to get our attention and to make things right. Now note also the selfishness of Jonah. He finally admits that it's his fault. He knows that he's the one who did this. So he says to the sailors, go ahead and throw me overboard. Now, There are a couple problems I have with this. Number one, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God is a gracious God who will forgive those who repent. Yet Jonah is so stubborn and where he is, 
You almost picture him with his arms crossed and he's decided, I'm not repenting. I would rather you guys throw me overboard than for me to actually do things the way God is telling me to do it. And he's mad. Forget it. I'm not going. Throw me overboard. That is an incredibly stubborn and arrogant man that we're talking about. Yet we look at Jonah as a a great missionary, a prophet of God. The other side to this, and this is the selfishness that comes in. He knows not only could he repent and probably the storm would come to an end, but he also knows that if I'm not on this ship, all these other people are going to be saved. You know what he could have done? He could have jumped. Yet he refused. Why? There's a part of me that just kind of assumes that Jonah was thinking to himself that they probably won't really throw me overboard. You know, actually, when he tells them that, they immediately begin to sort of cover every other possibility first. Let's work as hard as we can to try to save this man. And you almost picture Jonah saying to himself, man, maybe I won't have to get thrown overboard, but the storm keeps getting worse. And eventually they reach a point of desperation and this selfish man eventually gets thrown overboard. Do you realize how selfish we are in our sin sometimes? Do you realize how easy it would be for us to make things right? simply by going to God and repenting or by taking the action to correct it as Jonah could have done by jumping overboard. But far too many of us would rather sit in it, stay in it, and just kind of let everybody else deal with the consequences. All of that sounds really negative today, but I want you to understand something. The whole purpose of this, I've got other stuff, but I'm not going to get into it right now. The whole purpose of this today is for you to realize that much like Jonah, God will do whatever it takes to get you into a right relationship with him. If God would take people that are incredibly ungodly, the people of Nineveh, that was them. If God would do whatever it takes to try to make things right with them, if God would take a selfish, arrogant prophet like Jonah, and God would do whatever it takes to make things right with him, What would God be willing to do so that you can have a right heart with him? I will tell you that the answer is anything. That's how much God loves you. I don't know the sin that weighs in your life right now. Everyone in here has different issues, and I get it 100%. Sometimes we have to walk really difficult paths. But what I will tell you is that God has one desire for you and it's for you to be in a right relationship with him. And I'll tell you, things are a whole lot better when you do it his way. A whole lot better when you choose to say, you know what, God, I am yours and I will do whatever it is you call me to do. I'm gonna ask everyone, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that you and you alone can make things right for us. We recognize that you have a heart for us, that you love us more than anything else 
in this world. And for whatever reason, we have made choices to walk in disobedience from you. Lord, right now I ask that you would forgive sin, that you would make things right between us and you, but Lord, not just that you would tell us that you forgive us. We know that you've already promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us. But beyond that, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn from that sin so that we would no longer have to deal with the consequences associated with that sin. Lord, I pray that you would give us an incredible sense of peace and grace. Lord, every individual in here today was created in your image. Lord, I pray that where sin has taken root in their lives, that it would be cast out. And that once again, truly the image of God would pour out of them. Lord, make us right with you. And although this is a dangerous prayer, Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to make us right. We ask this in your name. Amen. I tell you that that is a dangerous prayer, and this is what I mean by that. What if, in the process of God getting us to the point of surrender, what if that means we have to go through some really difficult storms? I got to tell you, the storm is worth it if it brings us back into a right relationship with him. Let me share one last story with you, and then we'll close. It's about a guy named Harley Sheffield. Most of us have never heard of him. If we have heard of him, it's been a long time since they talked about him. He gained celebrity status through an unusual mishap. He was part of the 15,000-mile relay that carried the Olympic torch to the 100th gathering of the Olympic Games, by the way, in Atlanta, Georgia. His section of the relay went over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington on May 7, 1996. While carrying the flame in a special stand on his bicycle, the rear tire blew out. Sheffield lost control of his bike and the official flame went out. People gasped in disbelief because it's not supposed to go out. But the attenders of the torch knew exactly what to do. They simply reached into the van that accompanied the traveling torch, pulled out a new torch, and lit it from what is called the mother flame. Inside the van, there was another flame that basically burned continually. The procession continued, and Sheffield earned a spot on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno afterwards. What happened on that Washington Bridge happens all the time in our Christian lives. There are times that it seems as though our flame goes out. And we may even wonder if there's any way possible to relight the flame. But all we have to do is to go back to the quote-unquote mother flame, the one who gave us the flame in the first place, to go back to Christ. He desires that we have a flame that burns brightly within us. But we got to go back to him to get it. I hope that everyone in here understands that and has received that. I do want to thank each of you for being a part of our service this morning. It is such a blessing. I'm telling you, there's far more people here than I anticipated with the weather. And I just love seeing you guys and being with y'all today. So thank y'all for being with us. 
Go in peace.